we're going to do this from now on. So we'll have at nine o'clock, we'll have a live version inside and outside at the same time. And periodically, we're going to switch it up. So sometimes we're going to go live outside and project it inside. And other times we'll be live inside and project it outside. And of course, we're online as well. So I'm glad you're here. Hope everybody had a great Easter. Did everybody have a good Easter last week? Hey, um, I really enjoyed having Peter and John join us and just share about that first Easter Sunday and, and all that uh, sort of led up to that moment. I found it to be really informative and, and incredibly funny. I'm sure you all did as well. But um, did you know Easter is not over? It's not over. Easter is not a one-day event. Easter is, is really, it's, it's an ongoing event that we celebrate. But in the church calendar, we live in a season called Easter Tide. This is the season of Easter Tide. And so it's a 50-day period that begins on Easter Sunday, and it goes all the way to what we know as Pentecost. And at Pentecost was when God sent his spirit to dwell within all the followers of Jesus. And now during that period, Jesus was still walking the earth. For 40 days, Jesus was walking around and he was interacting with people. We're told that he interacted with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people after he was resurrected. That should give us some confidence. So what I want to do for the next few weeks is I want us to look at some of those encounters that Jesus had with some of those folks. All right, so this morning, what we're going to begin with is an encounter that he had with one of his original 12 disciples, a guy by the name of Thomas. Do you all remember Thomas? I think most people remember him as Doubting Thomas, right? So I'm going to try and give him a better um, you know, rap because he's gotten a bad deal, I think, over the years. So we're going to be in John chapter 20. We're going to begin at 24, and I'm just going to go sort of verse by verse and, and fill in the blanks as we go. So John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, so Didymus means the twin. So he was a twin, evidently. He was one of the 12, but he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So again, let's go back to last week. Let's go back to what Peter and John were sharing with us about that Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday and all that transpired. Specifically, what John is talking about here is what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record about Jesus appearing the night of that resurrection Sunday. Do you remember how the disciples, they were all gathered together in this room in a house in Jerusalem, and they had the doors locked? Because they were afraid that the religious leaders and the Roman authorities were coming after them next. And so they're gathered together. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears right there in the midst. He doesn't knock on the door. They don't open the door. He's just there in their midst. And they're terrified. They, they think he's a ghost. They think that they have legitimately seen a ghost. So he immediately tries to put their fears at ease. And he says to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Those words calm them. Now, here's something that I want to share with you that, that I think is um, important. <clears throat> you know, for centuries, that phrase, peace be with you, has brought calm to many people. It's a calming greeting. Peace be with you. But when Jesus spoke those words, peace be with you, it wasn't just a greeting. It was a gift. 
It wasn't just a greeting, but a gift. When he said, peace be with you, he was giving them his peace. This peace which, which transcends all understanding. This peace that guards our hearts and our minds against fear and worry. Jesus was offering them not just a greeting that brought them comfort, but an incredible gift of his peace. Now, he recognized that the disciples still had a lot of doubts. And it's interesting. So imagine all the people. It's more than the 12, I gathered that are together in that room. The women would have been there as well. So you remember Mary and, and all those other ladies, they had this encounter with Jesus that morning and then later on during the day. And they were in the room, and they had come back, and they had told the other disciples everything that they had seen and heard, and and yet they doubted, right? And then what happened? Peter and John, they took off for the tomb, and they had this encounter with this empty tomb and an angel, and they told their story, and what? People doubted. Then... Remember, Jesus appeared to those two disciples, Simon and Cleopas, and they were on their their way to to Emmaus, and he he spoke with them on the road. He even broke bread with them, and that's when their eyes were open. They recognized that this was the risen Jesus with them, and they came back and told their story, and guess what? The people still doubted. So these disciples, even some who had had an encounter with Jesus, they still had their doubts. Because this is crazy, is it not? You know, sometimes we talk about the resurrection of Jesus like it's just secondhand, like, oh, yeah, he he rose from the dead. No, this was crazy then, and it's crazy now. Like, people just don't die and rise from the grave, even if they told you they were going to do it. So, So it's not unusual that they are having their doubts. So Jesus recognizes their doubts, and he says, come here. I'm not a ghost. Here, you can put your fingers in the holes in my hands and in my feet. I am flesh and blood. I am the risen Christ. And then to further reassure them, what does he do? He eats with them, and they share some fish. Now, if you go back just a couple of verses, we see that John, who was present at that time, so he's recording, this is firsthand information. He says this, this is what Jesus also did. Look at John verses 22 and 23. He said that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Think about all that transpired that evening after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He comes, he offers them not just a greeting of peace, but the gift of peace. He says, here, touch me and see, I'm real. I am alive. I'm not just a ghost. He goes on, he eats with them. And then he gives them his spirit. He breathes on them to receive his spirit. And all this happened, and guess where Thomas was? I don't know. Nobody knows where Thomas, where was Thomas? You know, uh, <laughs> that, this is something you would not want to miss, and yet Thomas was absent. He was not there. Now, we continue on. So imagine we're going through the week, and this is the talk of the town, right? Look at verse 25. It says, so the other disciples told him, so they're speaking to Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side. Remember, he was pierced in the side. He says, I will not believe. I will not believe. 
Now, Thomas, he, he gets hit pretty hard by people. You know, he's forever known as Doubting Thomas, but he really wasn't any different than the other disciples, was he? I mean, didn't they think he was a ghost? Didn't they have problems believing that Jesus had actually risen from the dead? And didn't Jesus try to put their fears and their doubts at ease? He didn't disdain them for their doubts. No, he reassured them. And he said, come and see, touch and see. And so Thomas just wanted the same thing. He had his doubts, even though they were telling him, no, Thomas, trust us. We've seen this. He's like, no, unless I see him, unless I touch him, I'm not going to believe. Now, I think there are some um, points of application for us in this. And one is, is for those of us who, who are believers, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you still deal with doubts, I, I want you to know it's okay. It's okay. Like, this is a crazy story. This is hard to believe that a man would die and rise from the grave, never to die again. Okay, if the early disciples who were his closest followers, if they even witnessed these things and still had their doubts, it's okay to doubt. So don't beat yourself up if you have some doubts. It's okay. Secondly, though, um, and this is critical, it's pretty simple, but if you don't show up, you miss out. If you fail to show up, you're going to miss out. Think about Thomas. Think about it. He didn't show up that night when everybody else was gathered together, and he missed out. He missed out on God's peace, not just the greeting from Jesus of his peace, but he, he missed out on the gift of Jesus' peace. He missed out on being able to see and even touch the risen Christ. He missed out on, on a meal with Jesus. And, and most importantly, I think, he missed out on the Holy Spirit that night when Jesus just breathed on them and, and they received the Holy Spirit. Thomas missed out on all of that because he didn't show up. And I think that is true of us so, so often, that, that we fail to show up and we miss out on what God is doing. Oftentimes, we, we fail to show up for these corporate gatherings on Sunday mornings. And if you don't show up, you're going to miss out. We, we fail to show up during the week for a Bible study or a life group. And when we don't show up, we miss out. We fail often to show up on a daily basis and just meet with God to, to open up his word and, and to study it and to read it and allow it to speak directly to us. And we fail to talk with him. And when we fail to show up, we miss out. And it doesn't matter how great technology is. Some people are watching this online. But if, if you're not here, you're not experiencing it all the same way. When you fail to show up, you're going to miss out. And it doesn't matter if you didn't even watch it online and others come to you and say, Man, oh, it was such a great service today. You should have been there. Or you should have been at Life Group or, oh, my goodness, I, I can't believe you missed it. Let me tell you what it was. And you can tell somebody and tell somebody and tell somebody, but it's not the same, is it? No, if you fail to show up, then you're going to miss out. You've got to show up. And you never know what God's going to do. I wish we could predict it but we can't. So you need to show up so that you don't miss out. That's a great learning from Thomas. 
Now, again, a week's gone by. We're in verse 26 and then 27. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Does this sound familiar to anybody else? You getting that deja vu kind of feeling? Well, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Thankfully, Thomas showed up this time. Otherwise, he would have missed out. And I think this time, Jesus showed up probably just for Thomas. It's very much the exact same scenario as the week before, isn't it? They're gathered together, they're behind locked doors, and Jesus just shows up. And Thomas gets to see him. And Jesus knows that he has his doubts. And is Jesus condemning him? Not at all. Not at all. I, I think he's actually affirming Thomas because Thomas was bold enough to speak out his doubts. You know, how often do we keep our doubts to ourselves? No. I think we should be encouraged. Speak them out. And so Jesus invited him. Here, come and see, touch, and experience. I think Jesus showed up for him. And why did Jesus do this? Well, it tells us right here. He did it for Thomas. And I believe for us that we would stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. That is true for us. How often do we doubt and not believe? And yet, the evidence is there. It, it's irrefutable that Jesus rose from the dead. If you look at historians like Josephus, a secular historian who recorded these events as well in the first century, these things happened. They are true. We're not talking about fables and things of that nature. These are actual historical events. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John recorded them. We have the benefit of that. We have 2,000 years of history that affirm this truth. We see lives that have been transformed. History has been written. Time is marked by this man. There's no refuting the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And people have been trying to do it and discredit it for 2,000 years or so. And they have been unsuccessful. So having faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's, it's not that far-fetched. Um, I also think, you know, like Thomas, there, there comes a point in time where we have to stop doubting and we have to believe. At least I think that's God's desire for us is to stop doubting and just believe. Um, faith is, is part of it. it. It takes faith, doesn't it? And if you think about it, faith is a part of everything we do throughout the day. Faith isn't just a belief in God or a disbelief in God or a belief in, you know, whatever it may be. Faith is something that we have to exercise moment by moment throughout the day. Think about it. You had faith that your alarm was going to go off this morning or that it goes off during the week. There's a level and a measure of faith to that. You have faith that the hot water heater didn't break throughout the night, and you're going to get up, and you're going to take a warm shower, right? You have that faith. Um, you have faith that you're not going to die in the bathroom in the morning, right? Did you know like 19,000 people die in the bathroom every year? 
Who knew? Like I'm now I'm a little leery to go in the bathroom. But you know, but but you gotta have some faith, right? You these may be factual, but you still you take this step of faith. You have faith that that you're gonna get that that caffeine hit that you need in the morning to just get going, wherever that's gonna come from. You have faith that uh you're gonna make it to work safely. If if you go to work anymore, you know, um, however that may work, but you have faith in that, or you have faith that the internet is going to work. Every day we have faith in these things. And I could go on and on and on. Life is about faith. You discern the facts and then you decide how you're going to respond by faith, by faith. Now, here's so I have this old life application study Bible. Some of you guys may have one of those, and it's great. Like, I need to find a bind, somebody that can rebind it because it's, you know, the pages are falling out of that thing. But it's got some gems in it. And I just came across this this morning, or not this morning, but this week, and um, it was speaking directly about doubt. And listen to this statement and, and see if there isn't something there that you can apply. It says, doubt was never meant to be a permanent condition. Doubt was never meant to be a permanent condition. Doubt is one foot lifted, poised to step forward or backward. There's no motion until the foot comes down. Until the foot comes down. So think about it. So this is doubt, like where we're on one foot, and we have to make a decision, right? We have to... Rely on faith. We're either going to take a step forward, that's motion, or we're going to take a step backward. Sometimes, just take walking, for instance, sometimes it's very calculated, isn't it? Have, have you ever been on one of those old swinging bridges, you, you know, that go over like the James River or something? Those are very calculated footsteps you take, right? Like you are, you're like one foot at a time and you... you you get it, and you're all right, and then you lift up, and you take the next step, or you may back up. Doubt is a part of it, but there's faith involved as well. Faith is not the absence of doubt. No, despite the doubt, we still take the steps. Now, sometimes it's not quite as calculated. Like when you're going to the refrigerator, you're not thinking about taking one step. You're just, you're on a beeline, right? Like you don't think about walking. You're just thinking about what is waiting for you. So sometimes it's calculated. Sometimes it is not, but there's faith involved and you're just discerning the facts and taking the steps. Now, I want you to, to notice this. Again, poor guy's known as Doubting Thomas. Look at verse 28. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. So Jesus is calling him to a response. He's calling him to a response. How are you going to respond to Jesus? And he says, my Lord and my God. Thomas didn't remain in his doubt. All right, so he was sort of poised like this. And again, how long can you stand on one foot? Not very long. This is, this is doubt. This is the posture of doubt. And so when he was called to make a choice, he says, my Lord and my God. All of a sudden, he is on solid footing. He is stepping toward Jesus. He is embracing 
Jesus. And when he calls him his Lord, he's saying, I am going to be in submission to you. I'm going to follow your will and your ways as I walk through life. When he says, my God, he recognizes that this is God in the flesh, that he has fulfilled all that was predicted about him. So he puts his trust in him, my Lord and my God. So I, I believe we all have a decision to make. And oftentimes we're, we're teetering like this. We're living in a state of doubt. We had our Wednesday creative meeting and just some of the staff were together, and we, we started talking about this idea, and it, it was shared how much of our culture these days is, is really centered upon and embracing a spirit of doubt and questioning. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with questioning. I encourage that, and there's nothing wrong with doubting, but it seems like our culture has gotten to the point where people just stay there. Everything's relative. We don't want to make definitive statements. We don't want to take a position. Because if we take a position, then we may come under attack. Or what's, what's the current, current terminology for it? We might be canceled. right? And we're fearful of that, aren't we? Everybody's fearful of that. And so what do we do? Instead, we just try to balance on one foot. And especially when it comes to faith, we're afraid that if we take that step towards Jesus and we say, you know what, I'm with Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, I put my faith and trust in him, he is my Lord and my God, we're afraid of what might come next, that people might characterize us in ways that nobody wants to be characterized, that some people will call us bigots or narrow-minded or idiotic or misogynistic or phobic. Nobody wants to be characterized that way. And so we teeter on one leg. Oftentimes, people don't want to take that step toward Jesus because we don't want to come under his lordship. See, we don't want to have to adhere to any set of right and wrong. right? We want to be able to determine that given the current moment and circumstances. We want to experience as much pleasure as we want in the moment. That's called hedonism. Hedonism. And we have become a hedonistic society where it's all about our pleasure. It's all about our pleasure. And so, um, you know, we can learn from people like Thomas who took that step and said, my Lord and my God. Or we can be like the people that the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. And he calls these people infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. See, I think most people nowadays would be characterized as infants because we are tossed to and fro. We, we are swayed by popular culture. We are swayed by political correctness. And that is ever-changing, isn't it? And it's becoming so rapid, so rapid. It used to be subtle changes, but now, I mean, in a week or two, everything changes. 
I think many of us are infants, and we shouldn't be. You know, personally speaking, like, I've become really deeply concerned, and I don't usually get up in that, this sort of, like, where I'm going to start preaching, right? And I've been concerned for our, our country. I've been concerned for our, our community, and I'm specifically concerned for our church. I, I tend to be a little naive, right? Um, I like to think that at least the folks in our church are, are deeply rooted in biblical truth, I, I like to believe that, and, and I avoid social media because every time I get on it or I hear about it, it disturbs me and, and frustrates me. Um, and so even though I'm not on social media, I hear about social media. And you guys see it. If you're on there, you've seen it. You probably participated in it, and you may have done some things that you probably shouldn't have because one of the things that I've seen and heard is that I think with good intentions, we're trying to affirm people and encourage people that are hurting or lost or confused, and we're giving them a thumbs up. You know, we like this post or this picture, or we give them that little heart. I love that. But we are liking and loving things that I don't believe God loves and likes. For instance, um, divorce. People are dealing with divorce, and we are loving and liking those posts. We are encouraging it. Somebody says, you know, it's me time. Oh, we, we like that. We love that. You deserve that. People are, are separated. Again, they're struggling in their, their marriage, and all of a sudden they're in, involved in some relationship with somebody other than their spouse, and we like it. We love it. Uh, maybe we love and like various forms of sexual immorality, especially for the young people in our midst. It's amazing. Middle schoolers and high schoolers are engaged in so much of this. The things that they're posting, um, it blows my mind, and, and we like and we love them. Or we're engaged in things that are harmful to us, like palm reading or astrology or psychic readings and somebody shares that or posts that, and we like it, and we love it. And, and this would be my encouragement and challenge to us, because I believe a lot of times we like and love things because we're trying to encourage other people, but don't like or love something that you don't think Jesus would like or love. Maybe you begin there. If you're looking at something, say, would Jesus like or love this? And if he wouldn't like or love it, maybe you shouldn't like or love it. And maybe instead of responding on social media, maybe what you should do is contact that person outside of social media and come alongside of them. Because a lot of times they're responding because they're hurting. And they need somebody to truly care enough about them to come alongside of them and help them and bring about the healing and wholeness that we know that Jesus can do. Go beyond the like and the love, especially if Jesus wouldn't like or love a certain behavior. Again, I'm done preaching now, but it just, it bothers me and it breaks my heart. So, um, verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the category that I think all of us fall into because there's not a one of us that has seen the resurrected Jesus. We haven't been able to touch him, to put our finger in the, the holes in his hands and his feet. None of us have experienced that. We live in this time um, between when Jesus died 
was buried, resurrected, walked on earth, and then ascended into heaven. And then we're living in the time until he comes back again to make all things right. So we are these people that he's speaking to directly. Now, that does not mean that we cannot experience a very real and tangible presence of the risen Christ. Absolutely we can. Many of you guys have experienced that, and many of you experience him on a daily basis. We can experience him through a thing called prayer, where we just talk to him. And guess what? He actually talks back. Maybe it won't be in an audible voice. Sometimes it could be, but you'll get a sense. He'll, he'll, he'll lay it on your heart. He'll put a nudge in your spirit because he's given you his spirit when you place your faith in him. So he will reveal himself to you that way. He will reveal himself in other ways too. Maybe it's um, the way the Holy Spirit comes and, and all of a sudden, maybe you've read the Bible before and it just never made any sense and you just ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the truth there and now you open up the scripture and it just comes alive. Have you experienced that where it feels like the words are jumping off the page and they're speaking directly to your heart, whatever you may be dealing with. And, and it's like, this was for me for right now. God has a way of doing that. You experience his presence. Or maybe he wants to bring about healing in your life. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's spiritual. But God still reveals himself to us today. And I think it's easier to follow Jesus today than it probably was back when he was walking on the earth. I don't know about you, but I would have been pretty skeptical. Now I got 2,000 years of history and evidence. It makes it a little easier for me to believe and to follow. And I've personally experienced his presence, as many of you have. So I think we're in a better place. Now, let me try and wrap it up. Um, as John does, he tries to sum up why he is, is sharing this account of Jesus's life in verses 30 and 31. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, listen to this, and that by believing, you may have life. You may have life in his name. What's written in here has many different purposes, but one of the main purposes of this is to take away your doubt, to show you the evidence of your faith, that it's not in vain. And I love what, what John ended with here. It's hard to do this with one hand. This is how John concluded his gospel, his, his account of Jesus' life. Verse 24, he said, This is um, the disciple who testifies of these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true because he was a firsthand observer. Then he goes on and says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is a gift from God to take away our doubt. We can place our faith in him, and it's not as ridiculous as it may seem. We can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and through him, we can have life. Now, I'll be honest, I used to think before I, I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ that I knew what life was all about or I, I knew what it should be about, and I was an idiot. 
literally. I, I was so wrong. I was so short-sighted. I didn't know what, what life was truly all about until I began a relationship with Jesus, and everything began to make sense at that point. All of a sudden, through that relationship, I began to understand what is the meaning of life and what is my purpose. It became clear to me. It was, it was through this relationship with Jesus that I came to understand what does it look like to be a godly leader? What does godly leadership look like? That's how I discovered it. it. It was through this relationship with Jesus that I discovered what it really should look like to be a husband, a father, a son, a brother, a friend, a neighbor. Now, I'm not always the most godly of any of those, but that's not Jesus' fault. That's my fault. You know, it's because I'm not submitting to his lordship. I'm not following his will and his ways, but I know what it should look like. And when I mess up, I can repent and get back on, on track with him. But all that is, is revealed to me through a relationship with him. Now, we all have doubts, we all have doubts, and I'll be honest, there are times when I'm sitting alone and I start to doubt. Do you ever do this? Like, sometimes I wonder, did I just buy into a big lie? I mean, this is pretty far-fetched, is it not, that we worship a dead man who rose again and never died again and said, I'm going to come back for you? Isn't that pretty far-fetched? I mean, if somebody were to tell you that, like, here's what, what I believe, you'd be like, yeah, that, that does not sound right. You are not in your right mind. But that's what I believe. And, and in the midst of my doubts, I, I've come to not linger there, right? So we were never meant to linger in our doubts. We need to have the faith to either take a step forward or a step back. And when I'm doubting, I just remind myself of all the truth of the Bible. Like, how does this all fit together so perfectly? It's got to be right. It's got to be true. It's got to be real. I look throughout history, and I'm like, there's no denying Jesus. He either was who he said he was, or he was a crazy man. You know, he was a lunatic. You know, he was a liar. Or he's the Lord. I, I look at people's lives, and I see the, the changed lives, the testimonies of people that just come time and time again, and I know how he's radically transformed my life, and I know it's true. And so even though I still sometimes deal with doubt, it doesn't linger. It doesn't linger. I don't stay in this constant state of flux. I take a step forward. And so um, if you have your doubts, it's okay. Be like Thomas and voice your doubts, share them with somebody else, and seek the answers. Please seek the answers, because I think in our society today, people just want to stay in their doubts, and they don't seek the answers. They, they rely on the, their own doubts or the doubts of others. We're not called to stay there. It's not supposed to be a permanent position, because... Um, Jesus said this to John in Revelation three fifteen and 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I don't want that for any of us. Either know that you're in or know that you're out. But don't be 
lukewarm. Don't be like infants that are being tossed to and fro, back and forth, that are blown by the waves of popular opinion, you know, whatever the culture happens to be saying, whatever political correctness is in the moment. Stop. Stop. Take a stand and take a step toward Jesus and then walk through life with him. And if you don't know where to begin, this is a good place. Get together with other people that are seeking God and his truth and just show up. All you have to do is show up. Otherwise, you're going to miss out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is so important that it's okay to doubt, but it's not okay to stay in that, that doubt forever. Lord, help us to make a decision. We're either in or we're out. Help us to overcome our fear and what people may say or how they may respond to us. Help us not to waver and just try and stand on one leg for as long as possible, but to take that step of faith and to embrace you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.